Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? Tell me how you are. Are you? Um, do you know something about the faith today that you didn't know yesterday? Are you learning every day? Is the only way for us to live, to learn something new about our faith every day, to live and to share, to know and to love and to serve God. So, what is the end of man? All right. What is the end of man? And if you say to know, love, and serve God, you're you're right, but the better answer, especially if you're teaching your children, is the end of man is to know, love, and serve God. Always uh, have them incorporate the question with the answer, because to know, love, and serve God is not a sentence, but if they incorporate the question, the end of man is to know, love, and serve God. And you know, um, some people say, come on, you're being so petty. What's the big deal? What's the difference? If your children say that, number one, they're tremendously disrespectful um, to you, and they have disrespect in their hearts. They need to be taught uh, to respect. Our language today is absolutely atrocious. The grammar of not just children but adults is atrocious. Um, many things that they haven't been taught in school, uh, it's, it's really atrocious. So don't settle for anything but what is good and right and will help your children become uh, healthy and responsible children and adults as well. So we are going to go uh, continue with the Baltimore Catechism. And let me see what question we're on. We're on volume three. And yesterday, um, we, uh, I'll back up two questions. Number one, what does unity and what does Trinity mean? Unity and Trinity. What do you say now? Unity means being one and Trinity means threefold or three in one, and I mentioned yesterday I've spoken of the triune um, God of Abraham. He is one God, but he exists in three persons in one God, triune or triunity, which is how we get the word trinity. Then, can we find an example to fully illustrate the mystery of the Blessed Trinity? What do you say? Can you find an example to fully illustrate the Blessed Trinity? There are scriptures that indicate the Trinity, but to fully illustrate the Trinity would be to fully illustrate God. How could anybody do that? So the answer is we cannot find an example to fully illustrate the mystery of the Blessed Trinity because the mysteries of our holy religion are beyond comparison. There's nothing we can really compare it to. Is there but one God? And if you were teaching your child and he says yes, you'd say, well, that's 
the answer is right, but the, the sentence is wrong. Yes, what? Yes, there is but one God. Get them used to that, beloved, especially as homeschooling increases. Don't let them slough off um, because the schools will. The schools will let them do that. And they graduate school and um, it's a formal graduation, but they really uh, know very little. And their their spelling is awful. The grammar is awful. Uh, there's no gra- there's no sentence structure. It's it's and there's no patience to say it correctly. So is there but one God? Yes, there is but one God. Why can there be but one God? Why can there be but one God? And the answer is, there can be but one God, because God, being supreme and infinite, cannot have an equal. Cannot have an equal. I was in a conversation recently with somebody who uh, was suggesting that uh, a certain person or certain beings are eternal. And um, I asked, are they God? Well, no. Why aren't they God? Well, because they're created. Well, if something's created, it came into being. It did not always exist. And if it did not always exist, it's not eternal. God is the only one who is eternal because he always existed, which means he had no beginning and he will have no end. And there's none other to compare with that. What does supreme mean? God being supreme and infinite cannot have an equal. What does supreme mean? Supreme means, now don't say it means, don't let your child do that. It, what is it? Supreme. Supreme means the highest in authority. Also, the most excellent or greatest possible in anything. Thus, in all things, God is supreme. And in the church, the Pope is supreme because in the church we're speaking about an earthly reality, even though the church um, is the church uh, militant on earth, uh, suffering in purgatory, triumphant in heaven, one body. Um, But yet when we speak about the church on earth, the Pope is supreme. He is the vicar, the substitute, the representative of Christ on earth. So thus, in all things, God is supreme. And again, uh, he's the highest in authority. On earth, the Pope, uh, the vicar of Christ, is the highest in authority. When are two persons said to be equal? When are two persons said to be equal? The answer is, two persons are said to be equal when one is is in no way greater than or inferior to the other. When one is in no way greater than or inferior to the other. And we are created in the image of God, beloved, and we covered that in the beginning. In that we are equal. We are all created in the image of God. All of us. Um, With a will to reason and um, a mind to think, to reason. Um, I'm thinking uh, emotions, mind, will, and emotions. Emotions are uh, uh, given by God or a lot less than what we walk around with uh, many times. 
But two persons are said to be equal when one is in no way greater than or inferior than the other. Now, if two, if two people are born and created by God, they are in no way um, one greater or inferior to the other. They're both creatures of God, and in that they are equal. But they're equal in nothing else. Men and women are not equal. No matter how smart they are, no matter how handicapped they are, they're not equal. They're created. Man, God made man, male and female. They have different features, different strengths, different characteristics, different abilities. They are not equal in that sense, and they never will be. When are two persons um, said to be equal? And we've answered that. Two persons are said to be equal when one is in no way greater than or inferior to the other. How many persons are there in God? You know this answer. How many persons are there in God? And if your child says three, you cannot let them get away with that. They have to say there are three persons in God. A whole sentence. Or in God, there are three divine persons, really distinct and equal in all things. They are distinct. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons. They're not one person that becomes. Some people um, have taught that God, uh, sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. That's a heresy called modalism. No, God is not one changing God. He is three complete persons in one Godhead. Um, Truly distinct though equal in all things, because each person is fully God. Yet they are distinct in person and completely equal in all things, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father is not greater than the Son of the Holy Ghost. The Son is not greater than the Father and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not greater than the Father and the Son. They are distinct persons, but equal. Each is fully God, and together, They are the one true God of Abraham. Now, how many, uh, let me see now, what do divine and distinct mean? We talk about divine persons who are distinct from one another. What do divine and distinct mean? Divine means pertaining to God. They are divine in that they are equally God. And distinct means separate. That is, not confounded or mixed with any other thing, fully distinct and fully divine. Is the Father God? What's the answer? Yes, but that's not the answer you're going to accept. The Father is God, and the first person of the Blessed Trinity is the Son God. The Son is God, and the second person of the Blessed Trinity is the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit God. The Son is God and the second person of the Holy Trinity and the Holy Ghost is God and the third person of the Blessed Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, first, second, and third person of the Blessed Trinity who together are equal and make make up the one true God. Easy for us to memorize and say a lifetime we couldn't understand it. 
There's the music for our break, beloved. And as always, I'm going to take your calls today when we come back from the break to make up from what we didn't take last week. Toll free. Call in with anything on your heart. one 511 5483 And we'll be right back. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with the spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear family. And I mentioned um, yesterday and just before the break that because I was gone most of last week, instead of waiting to the second break, we're going to be taking your calls, your texts, your emails after the first break, which is right now, which will give us more time together. So call in at any time with anything on your heart, toll free, one 877 5115483 our lines are wide open dear ones um and you can email it mother at the station of the um we have a um an a, a note a question from Annette she left it on Facebook and she says mother Miriam for those who question the authority of the catholic church how can we explain to them how we know that the Catholic Church is the true church and that Jesus is truly the representative that established that church amidst all of the evils that have existed in the Catholic Church historically and today. Well, to begin with, Annette, 
you don't want to tell anybody that Jesus is truly the representative that established the church because if he were a representative, he would be representing someone, for example, God. But he is God. He's not a representative. He did establish the church. So how do we explain uh, to somebody um, that fact? Well, I would say, Annette, um, that you can tell them how you believe it. That's as simple as could be. You don't have to be a scholar, but you believe uh, in question in the authority of the Catholic Church. You believe it's the true church. You believe that Jesus established the church. And so give them the answer. Why do you believe that? And if you say, I don't know, it's what I've always believed, it's what I was taught, and I believe it. Well, that's that's an answer. It's a It's a true answer. But you need to know why you believe what you believe. Each of us is responsible for knowing our faith. And the way um, to explain it to others is to know it ourselves. How do we know that? By reading church documents, um, uh, encyclicals of popes, the catechism, the scriptures. So I would suggest to you that you read the scriptures, starting with the Gospel of Matthew, and that, um, and that you read the catechism, um, and that you read, uh, there's a wonderful book, I think it's by Carl Adam, and it's called One Catholic and Holy. It's a small book, One Catholic and Holy. I believe that's its title. It does a beautiful job of explaining uh, the, the church uh, and, and how it is one, how it is indeed Catholic universal, and how it is holy, established by Christ. Um, you can go on to catholic.com, Catholic Answers, look in their shop, and under category of um, the church and the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, you'll find many, many resources for that. You need to know that, dear one. Okay. Um, we have a call from Tinley Park. I haven't heard of that before. Uh, Cher from Tinley Park, Illinois. Hi, Cher. Good morning. How are you, Mother? I'm just fine. Thanks, Cher. Did you call in with a question? Yes. My question, I have two questions if I can slip them in. My first question is, what is the difference between the reparation to the sacred heart of Jesus versus redemptive suffering? Yes. Okay. Now, are you personally able to define either one? Even vaguely, do you know what you mean when you say reparation to the sacred heart or redemptive suffering? Kind of vaguely? Well, for redemptive suffering, I know it's offering up your pain or offering up, uh, I I would say, your pain to have it it transformed. I would say if that's comparable to when the bread and wine is being offered up at Mass and that's being offered up to be transformed, and if you're taking your pain, if that would be transformed into something holy, I don't know if that's correct. Well, um, there's nothing comparable to the Eucharist, to the bread and wine um, being uh, transubstantiated, would be the more technical term, into God. Um, because our sufferings are not, we're not transformed into God, but redemptive suffering is you're right when Catholics say offer it up. We are offering our sufferings to Christ in union with his suffering for the salvation of souls. So if you are very ill 
um, let's say, as an example, you, know, you break your foot or you have a tragic loss in your life, uh, many things, whatever it is that causes you to suffer, you can say, Lord, I give it to you. I want to share this suffering with your suffering on the cross. And you give it to Jesus. He takes it and he does use it for the salvation of souls or maybe for the salvation of a child or a friend or or someone who doesn't know Christ. You can name that and our Lord will use it and he takes it and he joins it with his own suffering uh, for the salvation or the healing of that person, whatever it is. And so your suffering becomes redemptive. If, if you don't do that, it's wasted. But if you offer to Christ in union with his suffering, it's redemptive, meaning that it redeems, um, it, uh, it buys back uh, someone's salvation in a sense. It redeems them. Uh, it, it could be redemptive because it's physical healing, it's spiritual healing. And so while God is using your suffering and sacrifices, same thing, to, to, um, to heal or to help save a soul, uh, it doesn't mean that you no longer have the suffering, but now you've put it to work, and the sting of the suffering is gone. And now you've said, take that, Satan, because you've you've given me suffering, and I've given it to Jesus, and now it's really worth gold. Even though you're still suffering, you've put it to work. That's a, a, a... more a little more fuller expression if you're talking about reparation to the sacred heart of jesus um the whole world is is crucifying him over and over and over again and his heart is pierced through over and over and over again in in the way we neglect him the way we treat him and so we want to make reparation for that and so we might do uh, different than redemptive suffering. We may do acts of uh, uh, kindness, uh, prayer, uh, sacrifices. We may uh, start a holy hour each day to console the heart of Jesus and say, Lord, I want to use this time in reparation, repairing, reparation to make some kind of um, healing repairing for the souls that neglect you or that hurt you. So one is a positive sacrifice. If a dish breaks, you repair it with glue, let's just say. You're repairing what was broken. Redemptive suffering, you are becoming the glue that puts it together. Okay. Can I ask one more question? Of course. Go ahead. All right. Uh, since uh, the COVID, I've been trying to, I've turned it into a spiritual retreat. And one of the things is I began praying the rosary again. Good. And I've been wanting to, and so, that you know, you have the illustration that shows the diagram and it also tells you the prayers. And I'm also yeah. trying to learn it in Spanish and I'd like to learn it in Latin. I got the pamphlet for Spanish. Excellent. One thing that I don't understand. And, and on all of them, unless I'm looking in the wrong place, is why on why is the prayer, the Our Lady of Fatima prayer or the Jesus prayer, not included in those diagrams? Or I can't seem to find one that does include. Yes, because those prayers were not given initially when Our Lady gave us the Rosary. Those are optional, 
and not every they're not required they're not a formal part of the rosary but if you uh, our lady of fatima gave us that prayer and that was in 1917 and the rosary was given hundreds of years earlier so um but we say it ourselves um just look it up just type in uh, if you're on the internet fatima prayer um mm-hmm. rosary prayers um what was the other one you said uh not just the fatima prayer but something else i wasn't certain if the fatima prayer or the jesus prayer if it's if that's the same term or if i if i'm incorrect to say I, that i think um the fatima prayer um oh now i'm forgetting it start me over with a word or two um oh my jesus forgive us our sins Good for you. Good for you. Save us from the fires of hell. Um, continue with me. I'm I'm drawing a blank. We say it every single day. Especially the most needed mercy. Yeah, perfect. You don't need to find it. Annette, you're wonderful. I mean, um, Cher, you're wonderful. You know it by heart. Uh, the Jesus prayer is usually a quick... Um, Oh, what do we call those uh, ejection or ejaculation? It's 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 just to say, Jesus, um, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's basically what it is. Okay. Thank you, Mother Miriam, and God bless you and all the work that you do. I can't Thanks. tell you how much you bring light to the world. Uh, dearest Cher, I'm glad. I'm so glad. You see how God works all things together for good, that now you're doing the rosary because of the COVID situation. It's truly, truly wonderful, Cher. Keep it up, dear one. God bless you. Okay, I think we have a call now from Kurt in Boston. Hello, Kurt. Uh-oh. Okay. Mother Miriam? Oh, yep, now I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, my, my question is, is with your last caller, um, I'm always saying my rosary. I'm always saying a divine mercy. I try to do the divine praises in front of the church. Um, I look at it this way. Our Lord sees us the way we are and he, he hears us from the heart. So I, I, I think as long as you, you are conscious of your sufferings, and as you're saying your prayers, you he he realizes why you're saying your prayers because this is what's in your heart. Is that a good way of looking at it? No, because redemptive suffering. Look what was in Jesus' heart. His whole life was redemptive suffering, but it's a it's a deliberate offering. It's a deliberate offering. When you're suffering, of course you say prayers, uh, and there are all kinds of prayers. Some to ask God for his help, you know, all kinds of prayers. But redemptive suffering is a true offering of your suffering to God. And if we complain about the suffering after we've offered it to God, we've taken it back. We've undone the gift. It's a a positive offering. Okay, because there's a lot of times when you have a lot of things going on in your life where you feel like, you're getting hit from all sides 24 hours a day. I, I say that about myself constantly. Yes. So I'm trying to ask God a lot of times, please give me the patience because... Well, if you're asking him, there's the music for our break, Kurt. If you're asking him to give you patience, you're asking him to give you a lot more trials. 
because that's the only thing that builds patience. <laughs> um, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have, have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, um, lacking in nothing. Endurance, patience, is only produced through trials. There's the, our, our music, dear brother, uh, and I invite anyone else to call in with anything on your heart. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Prayer in time of affliction. Blessed, O Lord, be thy name forever. Who has permitted this affliction to come upon us? We cannot escape it, but must of necessity fly to thee to help us and turn it to our good. Lord, we are now in affliction. Our souls are ill at ease, for we are much troubled with this present suffering. Let it please thee, O Lord, to deliver us, for poor wretches that we are. What can we do without thee? Thy mighty hand can do all things. Give us patience, O Lord, and strength and peace. Help us, O God, and we will not fear, no matter how grievously we may be afflicted. O Lord, thy will be done. Welcome be the will of God. Sacred Heart of Jesus, we place our trust in thee. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family. Um, we have this full half hour to ourselves, and you are welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Our family is in need of counsel. <clears throat> A new mechanism of control is being leveraged by supermarkets, merchants, and various other service providers. Specifically, Businesses are denying market privileges to those who refuse to wear masks in public spaces. Yes, I know. Um, under the guise of store policy, sellers are now denying goods and services to those who will not conform. As families like ours discuss ways to overcome these falsely erected barriers, 
we find ourselves in conflict, succumbing to the pressure, some will inevitably divulge private health information in order to obtain the necessary waivers, while others will lie claiming non-existent medical conditions in order to obtain the same. One soul floated the idea of enduring hunger, citing the Lord's words in the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 12. Therefore, this is quoting our Lord, Therefore I say to you, be not solicitous for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Life is more than the meat, and the body is more than the raiment. That's really taken out of its meaning and context. If you say you're going to starve... Um, because the body is more than food and so forth. No, 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 no. All our Lord is saying, um, that's Matthew chapter 6, all our Lord is saying is that he feeds the birds of the air. Will he not evermore feed you? Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious for your life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying to starve. That would be uh, irresponsible. Um, And uh, they go on, Mother, is it moral to resist given that such refusal harms those for whom we bear responsibility. To date, our governor has not mandated masks. However, an executive order strongly encourages residents to wear face coverings as practicable while outside homes or places of residence. If you could advise us on this issue, we would be grateful. Well, um, don't starve yourself and don't lie. But, you know, there might be, I'm thinking of the, um, um, the um, what do you call it, uh, um, midwives in Egypt lied um, with the Hebrew children so to protect the children so that they didn't get killed. There are times that certain lies like that are, are warranted um, uh, to save souls. But, but otherwise, don't lie. Um, uh, you, if you, if you have to, um, divulge private health information in order to obtain waivers, well, I never even heard of that. Is there, if there's a certain waiver for COVID-19, um, and you can obtain it, I would guess that's some kind of a government office and, and you have a physical condition that does not allow you to wear a mask, then I would, I would get that. I would get that because then you have a little waiver for for anybody who asks. Um, others will lie. Don't don't put yourself in a place of lying, claiming non-existent medical conditions in order to obtain the same. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I might stretch something if I can, you know, if I have a virus or I have a cold or or well, that would be the opposite. Um, uh, I'm claustrophobic, whatever it may be. I don't know, but um, uh, don't put yourself in a position of lying. But I would also say, um, you say, is it moral to resist, given that such refusal harms those for whom we bear responsibility? I don't understand what you're saying by that. Can you resist wearing a mask, given that? If you don't wear one, it will harm those for whom you bear responsibility. I don't know what you mean by that. If you mean that the government's going to arrest you and you have children, well, yes, then then why would it be moral to resist? No, you need to protect your children. Um, and...
And to date, our governor has not mandated masks, but an executive order strongly encourages residents to wear face coverings. Um, You know, I have been places, if, if a mask is not absolutely required, we don't wear one. I've gone into the hospital without a mask. And if the receptionist or someone in a department uh, asks me to hands me a mask and asks me to put it on, I'll never refuse that. But otherwise, I go outside, we go shopping. We do not wear masks unless we're asked to do that by uh, someone, someone in authority. That we, we don't resist at all. There's no point in that. So as long as you have a choice, you don't need to wear a mask. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if you fight this, you can, you can, uh, as long as you can get away with it, not wearing a mask, that's okay, because um, this entire thing is uh, really, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, preposterous. But um, if if it means that you're going to make a ruckus in a store or on the subway or in the airplane, they won't let you on an airplane without a mask now. And it's a very, very uncomfortable. But I, I did it. No point if I'm going to be in the social world. I, I need to uh, I need to do that. And if I want to be arrested or taken off the plane, that's easy. I have that choice. So I would say don't do anything voluntarily that you don't have to. But... Uh, go ahead and submit when you need to. Right now, that's very small. What we're really concerned about is the COVID, uh, the um, vaccine, va- uh, vaccination, the vaccine. I'm not speaking right this morning. Um, I would resist that with everything I have, but there's going to be consequences for that, and I think it's it's coming not far from now. So. Um, choose your battles. Um, the mask is a lot easier than to accept that a vaccine. We have an email from Mike in Springfield, Virginia. Mother Miriam, I converted over to Catholicism about 10 years ago. Blessed be God, Mike. After meeting my wife, we've been blessed with two beautiful children, albeit with some complications. With me being in my late 40s and my wife in her mid-40s, <coughs> Excuse me. She made the decision to have a tubal ligation done so that so as not to have any more children. I tried several times to talk her out of it, but ultimately supported her in her decision. I'm also concerned with having relations with my wife, knowing that we cannot have any more children. At this point, I'm not sure how to ask for forgiveness and I'm asking for your advice. Mike, of course, it was right for you to talk her out of it, and that didn't succeed. It was wrong for you to support her in any way in that decision. That was very, very, very grave sin. Now, I don't know if your wife is Catholic or not, but sin is sin, whether we believe it or not. Um, the accountability is what varies. Um, so the way to ask for forgiveness, my dear brother, is to go to a priest. Go to confession and ask the priest for forgiveness. Uh, There's nothing else for you to do. God is always, always, always ready to forgive. And if your wife's not Catholic, live your Catholic faith, not as a 
um, um, holier than thou or dictator or or anything like not rigidly but in love pour out your love for your wife um if she's not catholic that the love of god through you uh would bring her into the church and um uh if she is catholic well she must go to confession as well both of you must go to confession and until you do that mike when you say how to ask forgiveness you just go to the priest uh, in the confessional and you say um, father I've sinned greatly and tell him how and I I ask God's forgiveness Um, that's how Um, he waits for you our Lord waits for you in that confessional and until you go to and, and, and until you're forgiven for that Dear one, until you ask forgiveness, you must not receive the Holy Eucharist. And if you have, that's a second grave sin you need to confess. And part of it may be ignorance on your part. You may not have realized all this, but you do now. So go to confession, confess uh, supporting your wife in the tubal ligation. And, um, uh, and then if you've received the Eucharist, you need to confess that too, because we cannot receive the Eucharist while we are in grave sin. Um, And uh, can you have relations with your wife uh, knowing that you you cannot have any more children? Um, I would say yes, but following your absolution. You must go to forgiveness, even if to to, uh, confession, even if you leave work today and run to the church. Let your heart be free, Mike. We have an email from Reginald in Brampton, Ontario, and Reginald writes, Dear Mother, hope you are doing well. Thank you, Reginald, I am. According to Catholic Church, could you please let me know if a complete body can be donated after a person's death, like some people donate specific organs like kidney, eyes, etc., for saving others? Thanks, and God bless you, Reginald. Well, I don't know the law on that, but I don't see why not. If I wanted to donate my body to science and let them use whatever they can, including skin, I would just say, take it. It's moral, donate it to science, and let them use what they can, only for the salvation of other people. Uh, If you want to have it done for medical research, you can do that too. Um, But I I don't know of any restrictions, Reginald, in, in donating an entire body. I don't know of any. Um, uh, and I don't know also that from a Catholic perspective, there would be, uh, anything immoral about that, um, today. I don't know that there'd be anything immoral about that. So I'm going to look that up, um, on the next break and see if I've really, uh, hugely overlooked something. We have an email from Anne Marie, Anne Mary. Dear Mother Miriam, hello, I live in England. Oh, hello from England. And here they have banned communion on the tongue because of the virus. That's not so. They've banned communion on the tongue because they do not respect the law of God. No one has a right to ban communion on the tongue. They can use the virus as an excuse. But if they ban communion on the tongue, it is because they are not living their vocation and they're going against church teaching and canon law. So, um, 
Anne Mary says, I emailed my bishop and said that it was not right, and they emailed me back and said that Canon 92 gave them, that is, the Conference of England and Wales, the authority to stop communion on the tongue due to the virus. And they also said that communion on the hand was a norm in England. I was very shocked at their statement. Well, I'd have to look up Canon 92 Uh, to see what that's about. I I wish you had put it in your email. Um, uh, It may be the norm in England, but it's not the norm in the church. England has gone off on its own to degrade the faith. It is not the norm. Each country uh, does not have the right to decide that norm. The United States does not have the right to decide that communion on the hand is the norm and that communion on the tongue is not allowed. No one has that right. The church um, is the one who gives us the norms. Communion on the tongue is the norm. Um, And um, no one can just come out with a statement otherwise and think they're right. Um, there's the music for our break, Anne Mary. We'll continue with your email as soon as we come back. And in the interim, I'm go- going to look up um, Reginald's question. We'll be right back, beloved. Call in toll free 1 877 511 5483, and we'll be right back. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-866-628-2277. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at Um We're going to take, um, uh, let me just see. Um, I'm going to continue with um, Anne Mary's email, but I must go first, I must first go back to Reginald because my answer was incomplete and insufficient, and I said I would look it up during the break, but our wonderful engineer, Mike, um, uh, filled us in uh, in the interim, and uh, Reginald's question is that according to the Catholic Church, uh, can a complete body be donated after a person's death? Um, rather than just specific organs? And the answer is yes. However, uh, the person must have a a proper burial first. They must have a proper burial first, and then they can donate. Um, Mike has here from the Catechism number 2296, the Church permits it. With regard to organ donation after death, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says... Organ donation after death is a noble and meritorious act and is to be encouraged as an expression of generous um, solidarity. The Catechism is quick to warn, though, against those things that would render organ donation after death immoral, such, such as that it's not morally acceptable if the donor or his proxy has not given explicit consent. It is not morally admissible to bring about the disabling mutilation or death of a human being, even in order to delay the death of other persons. So let's say it's a heart transplant or kidney. You cannot uh, hurry or cause or speed the death of a human being in order to save the life of another human being. You may not do that. Um, Concerning donating the body of the deceased for scientific research, the Catechism says, yes, autopsies can be morally permitted for legal inquests or scientific research. And um, uh, let me just see. Um, Okay, and the above church's burial norms... um, the church's burial norms, such as a sacred space, respect for the body, would apply to the remains of the body after the research is completed. Okay, now, um, all right, so we're, we're looking at having a proper burial, but not before the research because, or not before the donated items, obviously, um, you're not going to bring the person up from the ground, but, um, uh, and and it's, it's, if the person is truly dead, uh, truly confirmed dead, then um, those organs need to be uh, um, donated uh, right away. But, the person cannot be alive, and I, 
I, I don't have the information before me, but I do know that in some hospitals, the person is hardly dead um, before their organs are are taken. And we do know that in the sale of baby parts, in order to get a heart uh, to sell, the baby has to be alive. And so they actually take these parts out of babies while the babies are still alive. And and I, I cannot imagine they do not do that with adults as well. Our society is so debased. Um, it's awful. It's just awful. Um, okay, Anne-Marie, I'm going to repeat your uh, your the beginning of your email here. You say, I live in England. They banned communion on the tongue because of the virus. I emailed my bishop and said it wasn't right. They emailed me back and said that Canon 92 gave them, the Conference of England and Wales, the authority to stop communion on the tongue due to the virus. Um, and they also said that communion on the hand was a norm in England. I was very shocked at their statement. As well you should be, Anne-Mary. Um, both are wrong. The church declares otherwise. Anne-Marie says, Anne-Mary, I keep saying Marie, Anne-Mary says, to me, the only norm is on the tongue, which is the only norm of the church, by the way. The church allows communion on the hand, but the norm is on the tongue. And on the hand is the extraordinary means. You're very right. I'm very hurt, but I trust in our Lord. Communion, uh, you should be more than hurt. You should be angry. Communion on the hand being the norm was not what Pope Paul VI intended when it was allowed. Well, it may not be what he intended, but he did approve it, and that was a tragedy. Um, Anne Mary says, I have left my normal parish, and I am attending a Latin Mass parish who is giving out Holy Communion on the tongue. That's what everybody should do, everybody. But there are other Catholics who do not have that opportunity, um, there's only one Latin mass place church where I live. I don't know what to do. Um, uh, Anne Mary, uh, you, you know what to do. You left your church and went to a Latin mass where they respect the reverence and the distribution of Holy communion on the tongue. That is for everybody to do. Keep doing it, Anne Mary. And, uh, other people have to decide what is, um, paramount what is important to them uh they need to decide um what is worth it to them to um to receive our lord in a reverent way um uh, we have people that that travel to the latin mass we go to some of them come from another state and drive two two and a half hours so um um I think each one should do what they can. And I, I, if any parish will not allow you communion on the tongue, they are wrong. Um, if they force communion on the hand, they are wrong. Um, not just a matter of reverence for the Blessed Sacrament, but communion on the hand is shown to be more um, detrimental than communion on the tongue as far as spreading the virus. Uh, we have a call from Nancy in Cleveland. Hi, Nancy. Uh, hi, good morning. Good morning, dear one. I was hoping you would comment on generational curses. Yes. Uh, specifically, do they exist? 
Is that what I you're asking? I guess that's a good starting point. Yeah, uh, but they do. I know they some do. people. Mm -hmm. I ahead, believe so. Also. Yeah. Some people, I think, uh, believe that that was only applicable to Old Testament times. No, 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 no. And no, I because, don't believe that. No, neither do I, Nancy. I happen to know people who have been affected by generational curses, and uh, they have been exercised. Um, by a, a very good exorcist. So I know of that. I know that it's true. And it's the word of God that these one yes. generation will, the, the uh, sins of one will be passed down to the other. Um, there are generational curses. And when someone um, believes they might be subject to them, the thing to do is to try to see a good um, priest or exorcist in your diocese. Um, specifically in my family, uh -huh. I was thinking with regards to untimely death. Well, it could be. I, I would not ever myself be able to identify that, but um, it, it would be good for you to see a good um, exorcist and look up the talks and the website of Father Chad Ripiger. R-I-P-P-E-R-G-E-R, -E -E who speaks of generational curses and healing. And you might find mm -hmm. uh, certain prayers uh, to take yourself and your family through. Nancy, dearest, um, there's our closing music, so we can't go any further today. You're welcome to call in again tomorrow if that would be helpful. Yeah, I was hoping you would. <laughs> yes, okay, but look up Father Chad Ripiger and generational curses. Okay, God bless you, Nancy, and everyone will speak with you tomorrow.